0: Hey, hey, where you been? Buck I talk is about
1: to begin. Hey, 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 come on in.
2: Buckeye Talk. We're going to knock this out. I just asked Nathan and Stephen which side of a phone is the speaker on, and Nathan said the side where your mouth is. So we're recording this on a cell phone tonight. Ohio State is a 34-10 winner over Michigan State. They're going into the bye week at 6-0, ranked number four in the country for now, and they got tested, but they survived the test. Uh, we have questions from our tech subscribers. Go to clum.com OSU to figure it out. We're supposed to do five headlines. We're going to skip that tonight because we're going to try to keep this short because it's super late and it's 1 o'clock in the morning as we record this. 614 Area Code asks, I'll ask, after seeing six games of field, who's his college comparison? Vince Young, Cam Newton, Terrell Pryor, someone else? I will say I mentioned this to our texters, which maybe spurred this tonight. I had seen some national guys that I follow tweeting about this during the game. I have seen multiple people compare him to Cam Newton. Um, I did see someone bring up Vince Young tonight. And I think the issue is when you have a guy with this kind of size who can do stuff in the open field and still can throw it. I said about the Vince Young comparison that I think Vince is more dynamic in the open field because I think I'm not sure that many quarterbacks in the history of college football who are his size, Braxton Miller's not as big as Vince Young, who are Vince Young's size can do what Vince Young did. I think Justin might throw it a little more consistently than Vince Young did. I don't hate that comparison though. And all Vince Young did was like be one of the most game-changing college football players of the last 25 years. So like the fact that we're even venturing down this path tells us, what Justin Fields is doing right now, and there are just people who watch a lot of football who are out there saying, like, this guy does stuff that not many people do. I'm not expecting any of us to have comparisons right off the top of our head, but even this conversation doesn't make sense to you.
0: Sure, and I think tonight was a really good example why, because look at how vulnerable he looked on that opening possession. I mean, he was kind of just run off the field a little bit on that first possession for Ohio State tonight. Um, to the point where I thought that they really went even run heavy after that. We didn't even get to ask. Well, I guess we, we had the opportunity to, and because of the way the game unfolded, we didn't. But that possession where they ended up getting a field goal where it was third and nine, and they're basically almost in the red zone, and they just call another run for J.K. Dobbins rather than, like, take a chance at that point in the game, and they didn't then go for it on fourth down, which is what I thought you would do if you're calling a run there, I think said a lot about just where they felt – the game was in terms of poise at that moment, not just for Fields, but really that whole offense maybe. They were kind of getting their feet under him. So he looked very vulnerable early and yet still was in going out against one of the best defensive fronts in the Big Ten, if not in the country, and breaking off some really long plays with his feet, made some good plays with his arm, made some mistakes with his arm too tonight, I thought, too. But still a a really impressive night overall. And what tonight, more than just what he is right now, I started thinking to myself, what is Justin Fields going to be a year from now? where he's just even more settled into the speed of this game, everything that's going on around him, and really just his own talents as they keep increasing over the next year.
1: I don't think the Vince Young comparison is that crazy. And I think one of the main, I think, plays, I think Michigan State was in man, everybody was covered. He took off and he went for like, I think, 15, 20 yards on the play. That's a prime example of something Vince Young would have done like in the national championship game against USC that season, where everybody's covered, and then all of a sudden you forget. Oh yeah, this kid can take off with his legs at any time to make a play there. Like maybe Vince Young was more explosive, maybe what? But I think in the in those moments where a team goes man and everything is covered and he doesn't see anything, he gets to make plays like that. I think that's where the Vince Young comparison rings true. I also saw a Steve McNair comparison from like a draft analyst I bad. tonight. Yeah, yeah that that makes a lot of sense.
2: And the one thing is, like, I did think I think Vince took off a little more than like the whole yeah. thing about Justin is I think he can take off, but we've seen that he hasn't felt like he's needed to. Yeah. He's been in control. He's been in the pocket making plays. I think Vince, according to the uh, the Google Net, was like six five two thirty. Justin Fields is like six three two twenty five. So not many people quite as big as Vince Young, but again, that we're dancing in that area code is pretty impressive. Is Ohio State still your number one playoff seed after the adversity tonight? That's Tay from the six one four. I had sent the texters a note. Um, I went to the mock playoff committees thing in Texas this week, and we'll deal with that more, uh, in the midweek podcast this week. We'll still do the midweek podcast even though there's a bye. Um, and I said, I thought based on, you know, the way things happen and the things I kind of learned about the committee, most of the stuff you already knew, and Nathan's been making this point as he writes a thing every Tuesday about what the playoff standings would look like if they were doing them already, and they're not going to do them until November. Um, that Ohio State would be number one. That like they don't have a win quite like some of the other teams, but I think the level of play has been that. Let me, let me, and we're going to go quick on some of these. I don't want all three of us answering every question, but like my, my nugget on this is, is it possible that a tighter game actually helped Ohio State? Because Michigan State tonight looked like a test. Nobody can bl- brush this off as like, well, Michigan State's not very good. Michigan State's defense showed what they were and then Ohio State still put up 529. I'm not so sure that like, if they would have beaten Michigan State sixty to nothing, it cracks the door on like well the whole big ten stinks, how good are they really right like a
0: tough game where you still pull away and are in control. I'm not so sure that doesn't help them more well, this wasn't a close game, really. I mean they were favored by twenty, they won by twenty four and I know that Justin Fields ended up playing a full game for the first time, but this game wasn't really in doubt in the fourth quarter, especially after they got that last score. This game was done um they weren't Michigan State's offense was not going to put up four scores at that point against Ohio State, with Ohio State not answering in some way. So um, this was, I know that because of the way the first quarter went, this doesn't look that emphatic, but I mean, the way that second quarter went, from then on, I thought this was a different game.
2: Yeah. Almost 300 yards in the second quarter. Yeah.
1: yeah, but I think for a team who put up 28 points in the first quarter, of the first week of the season, whether it was funky or not, and it's really kind of skated by in the first half. Even in the times that they haven't skated it by, it's been because of like these little moments where like, like a, like a, you know, a strip sack in the, in the end zone or something like that. And it hasn't been because the team has schemed them well. Michigan State schemed them well in the first quarter and they had to respond and make adjustments and they did a great job of doing that. And this is the first time they've really been put in that position. So does it help them or hurt them? I think it helps. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, so because now they've a, seen it.
0: This is what you talked about, this kind of win before the season. Yeah. It's like, it's a good win. Right. You you don't go in and just eviscerate somebody, and you also don't squeak by. You go in and you just give them a good thump, and you move along. I mean, this, Michigan State's a good football
2: team, and the other team does enough to make people realize it. Yes, right. they are a good football team. Double questions, one from the 202, one from the 813, kind of similar. What should we take away from a rather pedestrian game, especially from the defense? it just one of those games or something to worry about. And then what are your thoughts on Ryan Day going conservative? Also, was this a disappointing performance by the defense? Guys were constantly open in the secondary, but Michigan State just didn't hit them. Michigan State did miss some plays. Lewerke had a play where two guys were open for a touchdown. No. He didn't see one, and he missed the other. No, that was brutal. They marched down the field to start the third quarter, mucked around in the red zone, should have gone for it on fourth down, didn't, missed a short field goal. They had some sloppy turnovers early when Ohio State's offense was stalling. But Ohio State, and people pointed out to me during the course of when I was texting and stuff, it was like, Ben Victor dropped that pass yeah. early on. That might have been a touchdown if he had caught it. J.K. Dobbins had a long run called back by a holding call. Ohio State also had some things taken away. These questions surprise me a little bit because I don't think it's pedestrian. I don't think it's conservative. I thought it was a good win against a good team. Do you guys buy sort of the premise of these
0: questions? Well, I, 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 the premise comes from like what I just talked about, the one play that I can think of. Well, Ryan, I still don't know what that – I'm, I'm eager to ask him about that. Maybe we still will next week. But like what he was thinking on that third down call, handing off to Dobbins, and then just kicking the field ball after that. Those things sometimes – when there's just one of them, and it's that glaring of an example, those things kind of resonate as a they become a theme for the night, even if it's not really, I don't think, that true. And I don't think it was necessarily true overall that this was like some kind of really conservative game plan, necessarily. Although, I think early on it was a matter of, hey, maybe we lean on the run a little bit more because look what happened when we dropped back to pass on those first two series.
2: I think they got shook a little bit in the first couple of series and said, like, let's not risk something stupid, let's just right. run it and get points on the board while we figure this out. It took him a couple of series to figure it out. Steven, this is a question sort of building on the last two from the 4-1-2. Did you see anything tonight that we should be concerned about as a long-term issue for this team, or is this an acceptable performance against a super tough opponent?
1: I think it's an acceptable uh, performance against a good
2: team. Like, So nothing. is there anything that popped that would make you say, mm, maybe some team
1: can do that same kind of thing? I think maybe you can fool Justin Fields a little bit, especially if you're playing zone just because like that interception was a bad throw that I don't think it was a decision he didn't have to make. And that was the first team to make to force him into making a decision that maybe he didn't have to make. So from that standpoint, yes, from a defensive standpoint, no, like they still turned him over three times today. I will say uh, these two questions are going to lead into what my answer would be to that.
2: From the six one four I saw tough Borland get shook multiple times this game, and Baron Browning played well. Can anyone make an argument why baron browning isn 't their number one middle linebacker or maybe he is also from the two two why did the coaches stick with three linebackers so much, including the slower Borland when a Michigan state was looking for quick throws over the middle? There was a point in this game. Where it's not to pick on Tough Borland, but there were moments. There was at least one moment where they hit a tight end behind the linebackers, and Tough Borland and the linebackers were turning and chasing a tight end who was open in the middle of the field, and it was like 2018 flashback. I was looking around for Bill Davis, Um, like everybody gives up something. The reason that people talk about the tight end incessantly in college and pro football is because the middle of the field is often open if you can make the throws there, especially if you're playing any kind of zone. Behind the linebackers and in front of the safeties is is the weakness of most defenses. A lot of teams can't hit that. If you have a good pass rush, it's hard to hit that. If you have athletic linebackers, it's hard to hit that. Now, and, and to, in the play action that Michigan State was running. Yeah, and they're Sunday. sucking you up on that right. stuff. And they got sucked up all the time last year. They got sucked up a little bit tonight. But to the tough Borland-Baron Browning point, late in the game, they tried to hit a throw over the linebackers and in front of the safeties. And the linebacker, Baron Browning, jumped up in the air, yeah. deflected the pass, and the safety, Jordan Fuller, caught it and returned it for what should have been a touchdown except Baron Browning got a legal block on the play. So Which is kind of a weak call. Are we... We've talked. People love talking about it. I love that people love asking us about Baron Browning. I want us to be the home of Baron Browning talk on the Ohio State beat because
0: I've been pounding it since he got here. And there is a a Baron Browning feature coming from Cleveland.com
2: this week. Sounded like a fire alarm. That's my Baron Browning feature story alarm at Cleveland.com this week. Nathan Baird's been working on that. He he is right. You Nathan or Stephen, you sort of interjected that. Like Baron Browning kind of is the, the, the number one middle linebacker. He just
1: doesn't start. So, like, he doesn't play the first two series, but then he's out there. If this game, if they're ever going to play a game where it's on the line, I'm guaranteeing you, Baron Brown is going to be on the field.
2: Now, tough was still there in the second half. I mean, it's like it didn't disappear. I'll be curious to see the 11 Warriors snap count on all of this. It's been even. It will continue to be even. But again, like, just, it's, it's one example, and it's not exactly fair, because tough, Borland was also chasing people down in the backfield, and someone pointed out to me he blew up like two wide runs or something really? or two screens back-to-back and tackled people for a loss. So this guy can make plays. Not, a, I don't know that a ton of linebackers make that deflection the way Baron Browning made it. He just dropped, sat in a zone in the middle of the field, read the quarterback, and then when the quarterback threw it, he went up like he was going up for a rebound and knocked the ball in the air. It's a really good play, a Knowing film, knowing what's going on and being in the right spot and then B, being a guy who can make a play. And tough doesn't, just doesn't make those same types of plays like that. But we've said it a thousand times. I don't think anyone's throwing tough Borland out of this rotation. Right? Correct. Yes. <laughs> you said we couldn't just talk forever about every question. What, what is our time? Luke? What are we on? It's facing you. Can you see know. the thing? I can't it's see black. the Black.
0: It's dark. Is it, yeah,
2: is it recording? Yes, we're, we're at 13 minutes. That's we're not fine, too right. people. 13 minutes. The back of my cell phone case is the four Disney parks, and it makes me happy to look at it. How excited is Doug about Baron Browning showing that he's maybe the next great linebacker? Um, very excited. R- rewind this one minute. And, uh, yeah, and I would yeah. like to take partial credit for it. I try to take credit for Baron Browning, and, like, Baron Browning doesn't seem to go for it because I try to say things to him, like, remember, like, how I'm your guy,
0: Baron? And he's like, who are you again? Um, What you're going to read later this week is that Baron Browning just enjoys playing football more right now than he did a year ago at this time. He enjoys being on this team more than he did a year ago at this time. And Nathan's getting good stuff out of that. Talking to family. That's where you get the
2: good stuff. When does J.K. start to get the national respect as a top running back? I get that Jonathan Taylor has numbers, but Wisconsin is overrated. J.K. is running 100-plus and usually less than three-quarters of
1: work. That's our guy Pete Capo. Is J.K. there with the national respect, Stephen, or what else does he have to do? No, I don't think so. I think... Justin Fields is getting a lot of the Heisman talk when like there's some other guys on this team who probably deserve it as well. One guy's on defense, and I'm gonna, you guys know who I'm talking about. But I think J.K. Dobbins deserves a look as well. Like he's had one bad game, but like th- that's part of it. Jonathan Taylor gets the ball so much, no, regardless of who they're playing, that like it's it's like Jonathan Taylor almost had 200 yards today against Wisconsin against my alma mater, Kent State. J.K. Dobbins got eight carries when they played the Mac team. So like he's not gonna get 200 yards and eight carries. So, but, like, but he gets. But to be fair, he gets a boatload of he does, carries. He does. He does. But he does. But Jonathan gets it regardless of who the opponent is. My J.K. Dobbins gets it. You know when they need him to get it, and and that's fine because they they also have a whole bunch of other weapons. I don't know what Wisconsin's weapons look like outside of Jonathan Taylor.
2: So uh, coming into this weekend. Jonathan Taylor was averaging 21 carries a game, and then J.K. Dobbins was averaging 18.4 with a game we're holding had eight. He's getting 20 carries, like, in every other game, basically. He's getting—J.K. Dobbins is getting his, his fair share of the load. Like the, the, Nobody gets it like Jonathan Taylor. Nobody is no. as leaned on as a running back like Jonathan Taylor. There's this other guy from Oklahoma State like who's having a crazy year who might be, but I, I want to— as we continue to do this and we're going to continue to do this until they play Wisconsin, I want to evaluate J.K. Dobbins versus Jonathan Taylor. Like, not on raw numbers, but like on talent and impact and dynamicness, dynamicism, dynamism, that's not a word. being goodly. Like, that's what I, cause like, I get it. He doesn't, nobody does. Nobody is like a Wisconsin running back, but I think Jonathan, everybody in the nation loves Jonathan Taylor. I think J.K. Dobbins is starting to get there.
0: Yeah, and I was somebody who before the season was talking about there being a pretty wide disparity between those two guys, and I I would say having seen now again I've obviously watched every snap of the Cincinnati game in person of of J.K. Dobbins this season. I have not watched very much Jonathan Taylor live this season, so that skews my perception a little bit. But I do yes, I think that that. That gulf is narrowing. Does that even make sense? Is it that is. even a thing? Um, but I also say, I, I think number one, Taylor had a really, really strong year last year, whereas Dobbins didn't. Right. So again, going back to the beauty pageantness of the Heisman, that definitely affects how guys get evaluated one year to the next. He already had some of this momentum coming into the year to be considered for an award like that. But then also, I, I, I don't know that. I think Dobbins is underrated because he isn't necessarily doing things that on their own stand out as these, like, crazy highlight plays necessarily. Like, when there's a hole there, and you hit it at an amazing speed, and you've already split both defenders, and then you're off to the races, and then this moron comes in to, like, just swat it away from behind instead of just tackling you with your legs, which I think he probably could have done. I shouldn't call him a moron. (laughs) (laughs) That that guy actually had a decent game. He was in on some other plays. But, like... You just just tackle him or right. try to tackle him instead of just like I, I was trying to think of what uh, what this reminded me of where like in a in some kind of movie or something like an action movie where like somebody dives and then like they're like diving from one car to the next but then they miss and they just go like rolling off as the like, on a like chase the scene thematic, or something it's like that like yeah the dramatic song that's kind that, of what right. that looked like in on, on that uh, that safety trying to tackle him for, I mean if he pops it out and mind. the ball flies away he's a hero Right. And if because no. he like whiffed practically on it. Right. It looks really good. But it wasn't weird. like he was just holding the ball out behind him either. He got no, talked. talked. I mean I don't know if he was on the so, other side of him. So again, so like, like I, a long way a long winded way of saying he's he doesn't sometimes get credit for just being really, really, really good at the normal things.
2: Is JK Dabbins finally at his best? That's from our friend Drizzy who likes to get busy and the answer is yes. Um do you think Day passed the test with respect to making in game adjustments? Again we're I think some people, you know, listen, we're not, we're not coaches. Some of the stuff, it wasn't pixie dust. But what didn't seem to be working in the first quarter sure as heck
0: worked in the second quarter. Did you feel like this was a test for not just the players but the offensive staff? Yeah, I don't know how much of that is like with schematic changes. Some of it is like a guy, for the first time, those offensive linemen got knocked back on their butt a little bit in the first quarter, and, like, the whole offensive line, kind of. And that – I think they – sometimes it's just a matter of the performers adjusting to what's happening out there. And, it's again, it doesn't have to be schematic. It doesn't have to be somebody in your ear telling you things. Sometimes it's just a guy deciding, oh, man, I can't keep, qu- keep getting beat like that. I've I- got to make some – I've got to start winning this battle in a way that I didn't. They win it.
2: weren't. They weren't winning some offensive line battles right. early on, oh, right? Which, which
0: that's the best way to make your offense look like it's stuck
2: in the muck is to have constant pressure, right? Um, but again, I do think the idea that they got conservative on that second drive when they had an opportunity was some indication of they didn't quite exactly know what to do yet. So I do think they had to figure it out a little bit. Maybe not as much as we would like to talk about. It. It's like oh, everybody. I mean, every reporter in the world loves to ask about in-game adjustments. Um, some of it was them just getting better at what they were doing. But Justin, they tried to get, they had another series then where they tried to get Justin some easy throws. I think they threw a bubble. They threw a screen that didn't really work. Mm-hmm. Um, and you could see them trying to ease him into the pass game. And then it finally got there. So I think they were knocked backward by that first series. We have a 16 yard sack. That was maybe his worst play. That was worse than the, than the interception, I thought. When he like ran backwards yeah, trying to escape yeah. pressure, yes. practically yes. ran back to his own end zone. Yeah, Cause yeah. Because that's like, like the the interception. He didn't set his feet. He he was trying
0: to hit a a, a route that was supposed to go against man against zone. The running backwards. That's just a crazy person. Play. Well, the, the that sack was the first time this season where it looked like the moment was bigger than he is. Yes, he looked panicked. Yes, panicked is exactly the like. Way Like,
2: I would look. I was explaining during the game that if I were a quarterback and there was a a free rusher coming, I would take a knee in the backfield. Because, listen, if the tackle's not going to block, I'm not going to get hit. I'm down. But, yes, that was the word you would have used. Like,
0: like it's the spring
2: game, and what are you doing? Like, you can't run backwards 15 yards. This counts. This is a real game. But then he got it straight. And I think they helped him get it straight with some of the things they called and did figure out to ease him back into the game after that. Um how impressed should we be with this offense after this game? That's Joseph in Atlanta. So, Steven, the idea that they put up 592 in the end. 592 yards on this defense. I mean, is that is that impressive like the the final totals. Again, they 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 didn't put up they put up 34. They didn't put up 60, but they put up 27 in the first half. How impressive is that 592 especially?
1: It's really impressive. I think what's really impressive is like their second quarters are, have, have been insane this year. Like Regardless of outside of the Florida Atlanta game where that was just weird, whatever they do following the first quarter, they seem to adapt to and adjust to whatever the defenses are doing, and that's when they start to click and put together things. You, things in the second quarter and that's where you see a a bulk of those yards seem to happen because by the fourth quarter the game's just out of out of whack already but like that's that's the second quarter I think is where Ohio State's offense usually starts clicking and it's been really impressive uh
2: from the 614 the question is where are you at um I'm in the suite I told you one time that an Ohio State player texted me and asked if I wanted to come through, right? Have I told you that? No. Yeah. But you didn't know what that meant, did you? Oh, I knew what it meant. And I, and I knew it wasn't intended for me. Oh, no. Oh, and I was like, dude, I think you sent this to the wrong number. <laughs> so then that guy that guy had to be a source for me after that. Oh, yeah. Because I was oh, yeah. like, you want me to come through? If I'm coming through, you're telling me all the secrets. <laughs> um, so I think the where you at might have been intended for that. This is from the 706. Doug, how does J.K. compare to the elite Ohio State running backs like Ezekiel Elliott or Beanie Wells? Is he in that class? Maybe Zeke's in his own class, but you get my point. I think Zeke is in his own class. I think top-end Beanie is also very close to that class, like top, top top-end Beanie that because of the injuries, we unfortunately, I I don't think, got to see as much we would have wanted to see. But I think when you're talking about like Antonio Pittman, and I'm just talking about the guys that I've covered, but like Antonio Pittman, Dan Heron, Carlos Hyde. Mike Weber, like some really good running backs like that, like really good productive running backs. Like Antonio Pittman was like a 1,250-yard running back for a team that went to the national title game. J.K. Dobbins is better than that. I think J.K. Dobbins is a cut above that. I think he's a cut below, like, Ezekiel Elliott was the number four pick in the draft. I think he's a cut below Beanie Wells, who is still a first-round pick, even with his injury problems. But Carlos Hyde was like a second- or third-round pick and has had like a productive NFL career. I yeah. think J.K. Is, is above that territory. Um, and again, like, there's been a, there was kind of a debate last year, JK or Mike Weber. I was always in the JK category. Mike Weber was a seventh round pick. Like, JK Dobbins is going to make more of an impact than Mike, than a seventh round pick. I, I assure you of that. So, winning, and I think we've talked about that. Like, his, I, can you win a national championship? I mean, this is not a, a, a question, short answer from both of you. I mean, not even a short answer. We don't have to answer it because we know the answer. But, like, Justin Fields and JK Dobbins are a national championship caliber backfield. Correct. Yes. Like on both, both instances. And it doesn't mean that, that, that one guy doesn't mean they both have to be first round picks, but like I think it's a good pairing that is finding ways to play off each other a little bit better week to week as well. Because again, as we mentioned, I think in a post game video, not sure we mentioned it here, the JK Dobbins touchdown round was helped by the fact that it was a zone read where the safety saw Justin Fields go to the left and sucked towards Justin Fields one step and then they blocked it up. One of the offensive linemen got to the second level and took out the only linebacker on that side. And Kirk Herbstreit, I'm not drawing this up. It's what Kirk Herbstreit grew up on the TV. And the safeties, one bad step by the safety is what opened that lane. And then he was gone because he basically just hit a hole and was out there. And it's like, where would that hole come from? The threat of Justin Fields in the run game is real and makes J.K. Dobbins better. And now, ever since week one, we've seen J.K. Dobbins take advantage of the opportunities that Justin Fields is helping to create. I feel like Michigan State came out with a plan of isolating Damon Arnett and going after him one-on-one, especially yeah. earlier. It didn't yeah. work great. The over-the-middle stuff still worked. But what teams are deep enough at receiver to attack him effectively from the 6 You felt that, Steven?
1: Yeah. I actually, I think I said it. I don't know if I said it under my breath or I said it to one of you guys. But it did feel like I ta- before he, he left the game, they were picking on him a little bit. I didn't. I, didn't, I don't know how many times they targeted Okuda in compar- or Wade in comparison to Arnett, but it's got to be a lot more to Arnett, which is interesting because the first time they targeted him, he forced a fumble. And it ended up in a turnover for Michigan State, but they just kept going at him and kept going at him and kept going at him. And he, Damon Arnett does what he does. He talks his trash, like we all know he does. But, like, yeah, they, t- I, it, from a first watch, it definitely looked like they targeted him a lot more often than the other two cornerbacks.
2: Which is, which is just, I wouldn't throw at Jeff Okud either. No. Uh, true or false, Damon Arnett sometimes talks a little bit too much trash. Ask Jalen Harris.
0: He's not here, so you answer. <laughs> yes. Yes, of course. I, I, I'm a huge fan <laughs> of doing something and then, like, taunting. I think it should be more, like, allowed, if not encouraged. I just love, like, taunting after a play. But, like, just just j- jawing for the sake of jawing, I don't understand. He, like, embodies... You're potentially riling up your opponent for yeah. no reason. Yeah,
1: yeah, he embodies, like, the, the stereotype of what a cornerback is, though.
2: Yeah, right, so- and if... But if he was playing, like, at a Jeff Okuda level, I'd be okay with it a little bit more.
1: But I don't know if Jeff Okuda – well, from what Justin Fields said, Jeff Okuda talks just as much trash in practice. But, like, it's not – but every time the camera's on Je- Jeff Okuda, we don't see him talking trash. Every time they put the camera on Damon Arnett, you see him talking trash. Which is Actually, fine. And
2: Damon Arnett's really good. It's, yeah, no, you and, do, and do it's fine. You, I get like, it.
1: It's what college kids do. Yeah. But, but,
0: and Sean Wade said that Jeff Okuda talks trash too he said yeah, to me so earlier this week so it's like it's I think reputation, that's something that yeah it's some I of think. it is reputation yeah. some of it is also maybe how you do it like damon arnett i think is very demonstrative sometimes in how yeah. he does that and jeff okuda may be a little bit more understated but i also think there's something to be said i'm gonna go back on what i just said there's something to be said for getting in somebody else's head like so if you're the trash yeah. talking sometimes be not just doesn't pump them up it gets in their head gets them distracted from what they're supposed to be doing. what's a time check 26. All right, we're going to end this quick. Do you guys think that the O line was a
2: problem tonight and a concern for future games, Linden and the 216? You're the O line guys, Nathan. What do you say?
0: Well, I do have some concerns, and it goes back to they're going to play some teams. Yes, I think it made me think of this when you talked about the the playoff backfield. Yes, I think they are a playoff backfield. However, Michigan State gave them the ball twice early on tonight, one of them was not even a forced fumble. They just coughed it up. Um, they're going to play some defenses that are as good or better than Michigan State that then have an elite offense on the other side of it, whether that's Alabama, whether that's – you could argue whether that's Clemson right now, I suppose. But there are some – some they would not be able to get away with how they played in the first quarter tonight and potentially still win a game against that caliber of team. And I think that does come back on the offensive line. This offensive line, I think, probably got a wake-up call at a good time tonight going into a bye game, saying, or bye week, I should say, saying – we've got to step things up a level for these next six games. I
2: do think it's possible, though, that thinking along those lines, I think it's possible the team that has the greatest balance between a high-level offense and high-level defense in the country is Ohio State. It it may be Ohio State. But your point is taken, that they played a really good defense tonight that did not have an offense behind it to back it up. I think they're going to play an offense in Penn State that's going to give them more trouble. They're going to play maybe a Michigan Michigan defense that doesn't have the offense. A lot of teams in the Big Ten are good on on one side of the ball. They're not good on both. In the playoff, they're going to face teams who are good on both. And – I think your point is right. You can't play like this in the first quarter, but that's the first time all year they've played in a way that you
0: would say, well, that's not going to work against Georgia or LSU or Oklahoma or Bama. Right, but but if they have that same first quarter here, I think it – um against one of those kinds of opponents, I think it lingers more. I that
2: think. was the kind of first quarter where you could be down 14 yes. nothing after the first quarter. And they maybe, played they maybe poorly enough. Tonight. Again, Michigan State just gave At, the ball. And up Michigan plus. State could not do anything with it. 16 right. plays, 16 yards for Ohio State in the first
0: quarter, yeah. and they survived it. Zero net rushing yards in the first quarter.
2: Is Brendan White's face in a milk carton somewhere? He has totally disappeared from the defense this season. What's his role in this time this season uh, and next season? From the seven four zero, Stephen. Uh, that's a question for you, and I challenge you to answer this question without going into a history of the bullet, which I think sometimes <laughs> you have a tendency to do. You know, well, the bullet is it. A- we know what the bullet is. Why do you think Brendan White's not playing?
1: I think they. I think they're comfortable with what Pete Warner gives them. I, I think that's the answer. Like the, the the fact that like there have been moments where Pete Warner has been, ended up being the the deep the deep guy when they bring J- Jordan puller up, and they've said on record that like we're fine with that happening. It's just come down to like they just like what Pete Warner brings to the table.
2: And I don't and I don't think that that's like I don't think it's about like position name no. or position. It's just uh, duties. It's just Pete Warner's playing pretty well. So there was it's, also a, it's like and it's like you're on alert sometimes for this stuff. It's like. A tight end, like, came off the, la- off the line tonight and, like, ran a little out route and beat Pete Warner for a first down. It was like, well, if Brendan I- – I immediately thought, well, if Brendan White was in the game, maybe that well, wouldn't have happened. But but this just give stuff
0: up. But this is the thing. Like, cornerbacks, defensive backs, it's, it's the same thing they've dealt with for a long time. You're always on an island. So when you get burned, it, it it becomes, like, this huge thing that gets seared into everybody's mind. But, like, I think with a guy like Pete Warner and probably with a guy like Tuff Borland, I'm going to do a big – I think I'm going to do a rewatch on my linebackers, on, on the linebackers this week for those of you who follow the rewatches. Um – but I think a lot of these times where you see a play get stuffed at the line of scrimmage, there's a big swarm there, a lot of times it's one of these linebackers that's in the middle of that plugging things up, and it just doesn't show up the same way as one of those games does.
2: Uh, I'm going to do a little Karnak thing here as we wind this down. The answer is tingly on the inside. <laughs> tingly on the inside. And I'm going to rip open the envelope, and the question is, how did Baron Browning's sack off the edge make you feel? Um, let's run through a couple more. What? It makes me happy when Baron Browning succeeds and that they're using him in different ways and using his skills, yes, as a middle linebacker, but in other ways to help this team, tingling on the in, on the inside. I think in past years, this game would have been a one-score game in the fourth quarter. That's from the 4-1-9. I wrote this before the game. This Michigan State team is not quite as good as the Michigan State team. D'Antonio is now 3-8 and eight against Ohio State. I think in the minds of Ohio State fans, sometimes you might think he's 8-3. and three. Mm-hmm. He's 3-8. and eight. The three teams that beat Ohio State... One of them went to the Big Ten Championship after beating Ohio State. One of them, it was in the Big Ten Championship. And the other one in 2015, they went to the playoff after winning the Big Ten Championship after beating Ohio State. When D'Antonio has beaten Ohio State, he has had great teams. You think, oh, these scrappy little Ohio kids, these three star, they have been great teams. Now, he's scared the bejesus out of them with some lesser teams. They had a 3-9 and nine team that pushed them to 17-16. I think this was a lot of this was a typical Michigan State game in a lot of ways, but part of the reason there's two two of the reasons it didn't turn into a loss. One is this Ohio State team doesn't have holes, doesn't have flaws to attack, which is what I wrote before the game. And the other is this is not a great Michigan State team. They lost to Arizona State, they almost lost to Indiana. Their offense is suspect, their defense is good. I don't think they're as complete as they've been other times when they had Le'Veon Bell, they had more dangerous receivers, they've had Kirk Cousins, they've had Connor oh. Cook, Lawerky is fine, he's not dangerous. So this was a good Michigan State shot. This is not the best of, of D'Antonio's Michigan State, though.
0: No, but I, I do think this is close to a great defense, or it's a very, very, very good defense, and especially the defensive front. And I'm wondering, is this a does this look like for people who watch the Iowa-Michigan game and then watch this game? Does this look like a team that Michigan's going to score points on?
2: No, no. If I were other Big Ten teams, I would watch. now. But the other thing is, I would watch Michigan State and the way they slowed down Ohio State as Ohio State piled up 592 yards. <laughs> it's kind of a weird game because yeah. they absolutely did give them
0: trouble at times, and they also absolutely did give up 592 well, yards. We keep saying 592 yards. It's 576 yards in just the last three quarters. Right. Yeah, right. That's insane. Like 200 <laughs> yards a quarter. Right. Um, Hey, Mr. Nine
2: and Three, just wanted to say you're running out of games for three losses, and then it says, enjoy my $3.99 a month, Doug. That is what you get for $3.99 a month. It's a chance to taunt me. Let's end with this. This is an interesting one. Has Joel Klatt texted you? No, not yet. I'll have to text him for the 300th time later and see if he finally responds. I'm just kidding. To be clear, I sat next to Joel Klatt at the mock committee. The mock committee took some glamour shot photos of everybody in the room and posted some of them on Twitter. And yes, there was a photo of me next to Joel Klatt that kind of looks like an engagement photo. Um, we'll talk about it more next week. Do we have to? I don't, I'm not actually stalking him. And I would like to say to the follower and listener of the podcast who then took the photo of me and Joel Klatt and retweeted it and tagged Joel <laughs> Klatt in it and said, I would pay money to see these two guys in a buddy movie rom-com. Like you're kind of giving my secrets away, bro. Like this is a Buckeye talk secret. You have what to listen. That?
0: Like a buddy cop movie and a rom-com are not the same no, thing. No, we, well, we've no, no. not made that yet. I I know, and I think this guy wanted to go to the next <laughs> level. To be a pioneer, he wants to be like the Joel Martin Klatt. Scorsese of. So, to
2: be clear, I think Joel Klatt is a fine gentleman. I would like him to be my best friend. He doesn't want to be my best friend. This is kind of like a jokey thing that I like to do. And then, weirdly, I got placed next to him for five hours.
0: Question for the texters for Tuesday. What would be the title of the Doug LaMaurice Joel Klatt buddy cop slash rom-com vehicle?
2: Uh, and uh, get away from me, Doug, is a leading candidate. <laughs> I definitely sent I also sent the photo of me and Joel Klatt to the texters and got like yep. immediate responses <laughs> that was like has he filed a restraining order yet <laughs> was a popular response. Um all right, let's finish this real quick. We'll we'll end this with Steven. Zach Harrison looked elite in this game. He's getting a little run. He got a sack. He was in the game opposite Chase, which is the best place for any young defensive end on this team to be on the field with Chase Young on the other side. Where do you think he is in his progress?
1: It's going to look interesting. I, I'm a firm believer, and I, I asked a, a, a five-star recruit about like the future of Ohio State's defensive line as far as edge, edge rushers. I think Zach Harrison is showing us and that Tyreek Smith is showing us that long gone are the days where it's like one NFL elite guy Next to another guy who's a pretty good guy, but he's not like the NFL level guy. I think going forward, Ohio State is going to have an NFL level edge rusher on both sides of that defensive line. You saw what Tyree Smith could do earlier in the season before he got hurt. And tonight you saw that same thing with Zach Harrison. These are two five star guys and they're adding another five star guy and they had a four star guy on an official visit here tonight. They're, they're on their way. Literally, it's going to be an NFL guy on both sides of the lines and, and, Maybe Big Ten quarterbacks are going to take Doug up on his suggestion of just taking a knee when they get into the backfield.
2: Anyone willing to take that advice, go right ahead. Can we please not have any more conversations about Master Teague being as good as J.K. from the 419? Yes, we can stop those conversations. Um Two more that I just wanted to get to real quick because people are kind of begging. This, this is a good question. Does anyone in college football have a better knockout punch than the Buckeyes second quarter offensive explosions? We, they posted a graphic about this during the game. We talked about it. Um, I, it's part of what I think I wrote about is it. like they can, they can flip it. They can get a three and out or a turnover so quickly. And then if they go up tempo on you, they can score on individual big plays, but they can also like put together a, like a one-minute and 12-second drive on you. And this is the last begging question from the 614. I know I'm late, but give me a chance. If your worst performance of the season is a 24-point win over the number 25 team in the country, that's a good sign, right? But really, I know it's coach talk, but do you, do you think seeing them struggle in different areas tonight gives the coaches something to point to heading into the bye week? Love the podcast. Wish you guys recorded five days a week, but always read the articles. Thanks. That idea that... Does the struggle help and and going into the bye
1: week?
0: Yeah, and I think what, what was crystallized for me a little bit tonight was once this offense finds its balance, I don't know how you defend it effectively. And that's what happened tonight. Early on, it did not have that balance. The, the passing game got upended by the pressure that Michigan State was bringing, and really the running game wasn't doing anything either. That's how you get 16 yards on 16 plays, and they netted none on, on rushes. But once – go back to that series where they got the, the big touchdown pass to Ben Victor. It was – there was some kind of a run. I think it was maybe just a J.K. Dobbins runner fields. I can't remember for several yards. Um, and then they got a pass over the middle to K.J. Hill, which is like one of the first completions over the middle, like a downfield passes that they'd really been able to complete to that point in the game. And once they had both of those things back-to-back, I think all of a sudden now Michigan State is back on its heels a little bit for the first time. They popped the one big play to Victor, and then that opened up everything really for the rest of that offense. We added a couple more texters tonight. We want to keep adding more during the bye
2: week. Try it for a 14-day free trial. Cleveland.com slash OSU for more information. Or you can go straight to projecttext.com slash Buckeye Talk. It's projecttext.com slash Buckeye Talk. We've got a big Baron Browning story coming this week. Uh, Nathan uh, – or excuse me, Stephen went and watched Jack Sawyer, um, the five-star defensive end, play on Friday night. He has a Jack Sawyer, interesting Jack story, Sawyer coming this week, story coming this week. And I am going to have a story coming about the guy who parks my car next to Ohio Stadium. Every time he parks your car, he gives you a Buckeye and says, here's your lucky Buckeye.
1: Wait, you have like – it's like a valet?
2: No, it's just like the guy, the parking lot attendant. Oh. He like waves you in. No, I don't get out of my car and say, park this <laughs> <place."> <laughs> Um, and he gives you a, he gives you what a Buckeye. And even though I'm an unbiased reporter, I keep all the Buckeye's and I, in my old car, I had a drawer. And I would, I would just had like 30 Buckeye's in my drawer because I just, he gives me a nut and it makes me feel good. He's such a happy go lucky parking guy. So I went with him this week to his mother-in-law's house, which is where he gets the Buckeye nuts that he hands out to people, and I'm doing a story about this guy who parks cars and hands out Buckeyes and makes people feel good for two minutes before they come into the Ohio State game, and I have a a metaphor that I hope if you are a lifelong Ohioan, uh, bring a tear to your eye, because I like to come up with the metaphor first, and then I do the reporting around it. That's good reporting, right? Here's, the, uh, here's the, 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 the cliched point about human existence that I want to make. Now I'll go interview the parking lot guy. That coming this week at Cleveland.com. For Nathan, for Steven, I'm Doug. And that was Buckeye Talk.